You're listening to Ask Dr. Jake. My name is Dr. Jake Tucker, owner and founder of Good Life Family Chiropractic here on the south side of Lincoln. And we're coming to you today with another message of health, hope, and wholeness. And man, I mean, if you listen to yesterday's show, I've I've really been going through it. I'm, I'm a complete bundle of emotions and hormones and stress and anxiety. I, I was telling some of my friends today that uh, I just... I, I need your prayers. Um, I am uh, living off of uh, caffeine and uh, I'm living off of prayers and I'm living off of cortisol uh, because just the, the amount that we've gone through and dealing with uh, my son and his, uh, you know, basically for lack of a better term, because we haven't come up with the diagnosis yet, but seizure and subluxation and ensuing um, breathing problems, it's just been not sleepless nights, but darn near close. Um, you know, my wife and I are, are doing our best to hang in there. Um, but the, the great thing is that after the initial incident, he's been the healthiest, happiest baby ever since. And I, I credit God uh, for guiding me down this path and being able to be the parent to Zeke that was able to intervene and intervene from a cause perspective and not just addressing symptoms. And that's really, you know, I find myself in this weird place where I'm living in this world surrounded by people who are content to just feel good and in a system, a medical system that isn't interested in cause. They're interested in diagnosis and treatment options. And this is, this is what we went through. We went through, we, we sat down like many of you do, you know, once, once everything got under control a little bit, you know, we had a, a baby who quit breathing on his own, ended up having a seizure after he was revived and resuscitated. And then following that, you know, we began this process of testing. Now we were testing because we wanted to know what the cause was. We adjusted him and he did way better after the adjustment, which tells me that it was neurological in, uh, in cause. But, you know, we're also still concerned, like, what else could there be? And so we start off and at Saney's, we did a CT scan and we did a chest X-ray. We wanted to rule out lung infection. We wanted to rule out uh, anything having to do with uh, specific physical brain dysfunction. From there, we also took a blood panel. We wanted to rule out any infection that could be systemic in the cardiovascular system. And at that point, the emergency room there just felt it best that we transferred over to Children's Hospital in Omaha, which, again, I was on board with. I, you know, I loved seeing him do better, but even so, I, I don't think I would have slept well that night to you know just leave him as is without going deeper into what it could have been that caused this problem. And so we get over to Children's Hospital and he's doing great. You know, he's hungry. He's had a nap. He, he wants to live his normal life. Um, but we have to continue with this testing process. And unfortunately, because the world lives in such fear of a virus that now is only confirmed to by itself have current killed about 9000 people total across the United States of America by itself, mind you, that only one of us could be with him at a time, which means that only one person qualified to assess and address his spine could be in that room or one person that could provide him food. And so given that he'd just been through a trauma, we opted to allow Kirsten to be in there as much as possible. And when she needed a break, when he fell asleep, I would come in, I would check his spine. And I, I ended up assessing his spine and deciding that he needed roughly uh, five or six adjustments just just in the first day and just from the trauma that had been induced in his spine. So 
you know, we continued to assess his spine. The doctors continued to talk with us and talk about what they wanted to do. Uh, at Children's that first day, they literally did nothing except take a history and attempt a spinal tap. They wanted to rule out infection to the spinal cord, which granted, I get it. You know, you're just trying to rule things out that can create those symptoms that he had. They couldn't do it successfully because he was awake and everything. So they knew that they were do doing an MRI the next day. So they decided to do the MRI and the spinal tap and under anesthesia. Dangerous procedure. Most babies come through it okay. But still, it, it took a little bit of prayer in convincing that we even wanted to go through with the anesthesia, let alone the spinal tap and the MRI. Well, we go through the night. He's all clear. You know, no symptoms, no breathing problems, no seizures. The next day, you know, he we have to quit breastfeeding him at 9.30 so that he can successfully take the anesthesia. And then uh, that afternoon, he goes under for the MRI. Now, we don't get to see him for another three hours at that point because of just all their processes behind the scenes with the MRI and the anesthesia and doing the spinal tap. And then he slowly began to come to. And he did fine afterwards. He was tired. He wanted to nurse. He hadn't eaten since 9.30 that morning. And again, the test came back clear. The MRI was fine. And the uh, spinal tap came back fine. At that point, we'd had um, about 36 hours of blood culture time, meaning that anything that was going to come and grow and show itself under a microscope was should have showed up by then. We uh, allowed them to monitor him for the rest of the night. We wanted to go home at that point because there, there just wasn't anything. They were coming back with nothing. Everything was clear. No signs of infection, no signs of any trauma to his brain. They did an EEG uh, that morning before the MRI. His brain showed up clear, no seizure-like activity. And so that told me it was his spine. Like everything pointed to the spine. His atlas was out. Even though the doctors aren't trained to assess the alignment of the spine and its effect on the neurology, I could tell and I could see his response neurologically as we pressed on his atlas and as we moved that back into place, he calmed down. And then after we got it back into place, anytime I went to that area because of the trauma he'd sustained the morning before when his sister kicked him in the head, it actually distressed him. And so these were signs that something was going on up there. And so I only adjusted it when it was indicated, but it was indicated quite a bit. And so I suspect that there's some ligament damage under there. So I brought him, we brought him home over the weekend and he did great. And we're, we're still a bundle of stress and nerves, but I, I set up a, an appointment with another chiropractor, someone trained specifically in pediatrics. And you guys might not realize this, but there's over 300 different specialties just in chiropractic alone. If you walk into two different chiropractors offices, I guarantee you're going to have a vastly different experience than if you walk into, you know, two different doctor's offices, just the, the amount of difference that there is in technique and training and, and what we specialize in. And so my specialty is in advanced structural correction. If I see a, a scoliosis or I see a reverse neck or I, I see something that's deviated like the pelvis, I know and I, I have the best tools available more than, you know, 99% of the chiropractic profession to fix your spine. However, there are 300 other techniques in chiropractic that assess other things way better than I can. And so the, the chiropractor I ended up going to specializes in pediatrics. And specifically, what she found was that it wasn't just an atlas problem. It was an atlas and occiput and fascia problem. That the misalignment at the top of his neck wasn't just the relationship between atlas and the rest of his spine. It was the relationship between atlas his skull and atlas, and then atlas and C2. 
and it was creating a fascial tension and he just, he didn't like her mess, messing with him. He liked her just fine until she, she started addressing the problem because it was distressing. It was creating an issue. And so when you're trying to get healthy, the best thing that I, I can recommend, the thing that I do for my family is we address cause number one. If there's a problem, we address cause first and foremost. But even before that, it's not about addressing cause. It's about preventing the things that make you sick in the first place. You look at the COVID numbers coming back right now. There's a lot out there. John MacArthur, he preached his sermon. And in his sermon, he was talking about some of these numbers that the CDC is putting out there. But what, he, what, what they're finding is that the people that are dying of COVID have underlying health conditions, that when they're writing their death certificates, other than about 9,000 of these deaths where COVID showed up on the death certificate, that there were comorbidities present, and very likely in most cases that these were actually going to create. We find that the number one greatest risk factor for dying of COVID is actually obesity, which is actually the number one greatest risk factor for dying of anything, which tells you that if you're sick, you're more likely to die of anything. COVID is not more lethal than anything else that's out there. It just happens to be the big thing right now. Should you protect yourself from everything? Yes, but a mask isn't going to do it. You hiding in your basement is not going to do it. You not going grocery shopping is not going to do it. You have to invest in your health. And look, I just invested over $100,000 in trying to find the cause of my son's health concern. If I had been more proactive, if I had been there between my daughter kicking him in the head and him going to daycare, he would never have had a seizure. If I had seen that trauma, it wouldn't have happened. Do I blame my wife for it? No, she doesn't have the training in it. She didn't. She barely saw it happening just enough to later be able to explain what happened. I don't blame anyone for these problems that are coming in, but let's address the cause instead of chasing symptoms. Let's address the cause instead of spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on things that are in no way necessary to even begin to address the cause. All they were looking for was a diagnosis. And once they found that diagnosis, what were they going to do? What did they try to do in the hospital even before they gave me a diagnosis? They tried to medicate my son. A seizure is not a disease. A seizure is a symptom of a problem underlying. In my son's case, it was a, it was a symptom of a misalignment of his atlas and a misalignment of his skull on top of atlas, creating a neurological dysfunction. That neurological dysfunction being the seizure. Now, in other babies, that creates asthma. In me, it created a apnea issue where I quit breathing every day up to 14 times a day for the first six months of my life. And my mom, she had to live like I am right now with fear and constant anxiety and stress and not knowing what's going on and spending weeks and weeks and weeks and months in hospitals and doctor's offices trying to figure out what was going on with her baby because she just wanted a diagnosis and they wouldn't give her one. She just wanted a treatment, something she could give her son to keep him alive. In some babies, this leads to, uh, you know, Issues of digestion, gut problems, reflux, yeah, sleeping issues, colic, crying all the time. You know, in adults, this leads to long-term chronic disease, comorbidities. We're looking at this all the time. You know, if I see somebody in my office that's got a misaligned spine that's causing pain, if they also have diabetes and they're overweight, guess what? That makes it much worse for their prognosis and their outcome. If you're healthy coming into this with a misaligned spine because you had a, a simple car accident, which I saw a car accident patient yesterday. I saw two of them, one established patient who had gone into this with a more or less healthy spine and one of them, a patient who'd never had chiropractic care before in her life. Guess which one's doing better? 
One was a three out of 10 with her pain scale, knew that she was in the right place, confident that she had someone that could address her problems. The other one was fearful, nine out of 10 pain, just constant gets worse through the day, worse with activity. And there was nothing different about their car accident, except one was the day before and one was nine months ago. And the pain levels just match the investment in health. If you want to save money on healthcare costs, which we all should, because healthcare costs are the number one cause of bankruptcy. It's an average of $11,000 per person every single year, regardless of bankruptcy, that you're spending out of pocket on your individual healthcare costs, let alone your family. If you're the breadwinner for a family, just add that up between all of your family members. And if you're retired, guess what? That goes up to $25,000 per year. And guess what? Insurance won't save you. 85% of those bankruptcies that were due to healthcare costs had health insurance. It's not enough to save you. You have to take personal responsibility. You have to be the one that takes care of this. If you're ready to take that and you want my help, call our office right now, 531-289-7100, and we're standing by to help you. Have a great day. I'll see you again tomorrow for another episode of Ask Dr. Jake.